Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. See you guys. So, um, while they're going, um, is it okay if I just share one mom story? <laughs> what are you going to say? I've got the mic. So, we're going to. Yeah, sorry. But, um, uh, so I have this one story that I've told some of you in the past, and, um, uh, but uh, my senior year in high school, I uh, left school somehow, inadvertently, left school early, uh, and uh, drove home, I know, and uh, drove home and uh, went through the garage uh, into the back door of our house, and uh, when I opened the door and walked in, I hear my mother praying. And she could pray, my mom. And you could hear her. The whole house is just filled with my mom's voice as she's praying. And she's praying for our family. And just as I get inside the door, she gets to me. And I hear my mom as I'm walking in, the guy that's supposed to be at school, who's not, walks into his house and my mom starts praying for me and I had to decide, can lightning get through uh, the roof of our house? I, I, I didn't even turn around. I just started walking backward out the door into the garage, got in my car and, and I went back to school. And <laughs> the whole time looking up, just in case there was lightning coming down from heaven or something, because my mom was praying. I know, that was, that was a mom clapping right there. Um, but, uh, but it was a great reminder for me every time I think about that, uh, that, that my, my mom was prayer. She prayed for her family. Uh, that was a part of her ministry, was to hold us up in, uh, uh, in prayer. In fact, uh, years later, I had a buddy that was really going through a horrible time in his life, and, and he came to me and he said, you know, Larry, would you, would you pray for me? And, and I said, absolutely, but if you're really in trouble, I'm going to call my mom. <laughs> and when she prays for you, it's all over, man. You just, you just need that. Uh, and she was that kind of person that we always counted on uh, her prayers. And, and so that's just been something that I, I you know, can never get that picture, that sound um, out of my mind of my, my mom uh, praying for us. It's a great, one of my favorite memories. Um, okay, so this morning I, I, I put this title um, <laughs> uh, in the, for the sermon uh, had, we had several really clever options, but I put, give this t uh, the title, uh, Getting in Shape for the Summer, which I thought some of you, it might annoy you, uh, or it might, you might think it's sort of trivial, what's the idea of getting in shape for the summer, but, but think about it just for a second, because uh, in, in, the, in the U.S., uh, there are two times a year that gym memberships soar, right? Uh, the first one is in January. Uh, everybody makes a New Year's resolution that they're going to go to the gym, they're going to get in shape, you know, they're going to run a marathon, they're, whatever it is they're going to do. And, and so they make these promises, and gym memberships go up. And, and, you know, the whole gym industry, it's a multi-billion dollar a year industry. And here's what they bet on. They bet on that all of us are going to join a gym and then not go. 
right? Uh, that they're gonna, they can keep signing people up, they can keep selling memberships because the, the average is less than 50% of people that use their gym membership regularly, so well, why not just keep selling them because you're never gonna have, be overcrowded in the gym because people have this great idea, this great intention, and then they never use it. Well, the other time of year uh, that, that people sign up, that gym membership surge is, is you know, late spring. Um, people want to get in ready for summer. You know, they're, they're gonna go to the beach, they're gonna go to the lake, they're gonna be on the mountains, wherever they're gonna go, and, and they wanna be in better shape, you know, for the summer, and, and so they do that, and the same thing happens, and we sort of go through this routine every year, and we spend a lot of money trying to, 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 trying to get in shape, uh, and we don't ever do it. It's sort of like all the other, you know, resolutions that we have that we make in January, and then sometime between February and March, we, we're trying to remember what those were, um, because we've, given up on them, and, and pretty soon as you get older, you kind of take those uh, lightly, and you, maybe you make a promise to yourself, you don't call them resolutions anymore because you know you never keep them, so you just call them something else, but we still do that to ourselves, and, and after a while, we, we kind of just give up on them. It's not working for us, and the same thing happens in, in our spiritual life in our relationship with Christ, that periodically we get these great ideas, we get these resolutions, we, we get these promises that, that I'm gonna be a better Christian, that I'm gonna do, read my Bible more, that I'm gonna do all of these things better and more, and, and then we don't seem to be able to pull it off, we don't seem to get there, we forget, we get, you know, life gets complicated, we get distracted, something else happens, and, and pretty soon we just sort of settle into whatever we can get by with. Well, the Apostle Paul isn't going to let us do that this morning. The Apostle Paul is going to challenge us to get in shape. He's going to challenge us to get in shape in our life in Christ. And, and we're going to look at that out of the, the uh, letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. It's 1 Corinthians. It's the ninth chapter, beginning in verse uh, 24. We're going to read 24 to 27. So if you have your Bible um, with you, uh, you can look that up. We've got it on the screen. But I have another exercise option for you is that, you know, bring your Bible uh, to church with you and, and periodically just switch it to the other side and, and you carry it this side for a while, just kind of, you know, and then you carry it on the other side. Okay, you get it? It's aerobic training. It's strength training. All right, just thought I'd throw that out. I'm just trying to help you, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27 say this. Do, not, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may be able to obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable so I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is talking to us, uh, and he's talking about himself here, and in the very first part, the very first part of the verse, uh, he makes this statement, he says, do you not know that, all, uh, that in a race all runners run but only one receives the prize. He's using a metaphor, he's giving a picture here that he knew they would all understand that all of the readers in Corinth would get this because Corinth was famous, one of the things Corinth was famous for was something called the Isthmian Games. Now, uh, th there's, a, there's a finger of land that connects Corinth and, and, and another uh, large 
land mass there. And so right in the middle, uh, that's called an isthmus, and it's about 10 miles outside of Corinth. They had these games uh, that were uh, on the off years of the Olympics. So in ancient time, they had the Olympic games and they also had the Isthmian games. And it was a, it was a celebration, it was a festival that included athletic contests and music. And so people would come from all over uh, the known world and they would gather in Corinth during this time for the Isthmian Games. They were very famous. In fact, we know that, that the Isthmian Games were held uh, in AD 51. We also know that Paul was likely to have been in Corinth between AD 50 and AD 52. So he was there during the Isthmian Games. He's giving us a firsthand picture. Uh, he, he's using a metaphor that they would understand and something that he was part of. And, and a lot of scholars uh, figure that he probably, because his he, he was a tent maker, that he was probably making tents. They was probably working there during that time also. Um, uh, building tents for people that were coming to participate in the Isthmian Games. So Paul is using a metaphor, he's using a picture that all of them would understand, and certainly we understand it, it too, uh, that this was a really big deal, and it's a big deal for us. The Isthmian Games in ancient Greece, uh, they were uh, competitions in honor of the, the sea god Poseidon, uh, it was held in the spring in the second and fourth years of each Olympiad uh, at Poseidon's sanctuary in Corinth. In the second century, a traveler and historian named Pausanias uh, wrote that athletes and trainers participating in the games swore an oath on slices of boar's flesh. I kid you not. Uh, they swore an oath that was a 10-month commitment uh, that they would commit to all of the disciplines, all of the training, the diet, and rest, the disciplines that were required to participate in the games. And if they broke those disciplines, if they didn't fulfill that, they would be disqualified from participating uh, in the games. So it was a really big deal. You made this, even if you were just the trainer for one of the athletes, you made the same pledge uh, to stay disciplined, to commit to all of these for the honor of participating in the Isthmian games that that was the whole goal. Now, Paul says this. He says that every athlete, that, uh, he, he says every athlete uh, that commits to this, every athlete exercises self-control. Another way of saying this is that every athlete who competes goes into strict training. And one of the things I like about this phrase is that it comes from a large Greek word that, that's root is uh, the word agon. Can you think of what, what word we might get out of the Greek word agon. We get agony out of that. So here's what he's saying. You gotta love this. He's saying that every athlete goes through agony to get prepared for these games. Every athlete puts themselves through such rigorous training, such discipline, that they put themselves through agony to get there, that it matters so much, it's so important to do their best, to go for the prize, to get the prize, not just about finishing second, not just about showing up, but they wanna win the thing, so they'll go through agony for it. There's another word that we talk about, discipline, that discipline is also defined as intentional suffering. They say, I'm gonna put myself through intentional suffering so that I can be prepared, I can be the best I can possibly be to participate uh, in the Isthmian Games, to participate in this contest. And so Paul is saying that all of those athletes do that, and he's looking at us saying, so why don't we? They do it 
for a perishable prize. We do it for one that's imperishable. I love this because you could also call them the vegan games because the, the wreaths that they put on their heads, uh, the, initially they were cel- made of celery. Uh, some were, were made out of uh, parsley and others were made out of pine leaves. And so they would make these, these uh, wreaths that you would get placed on your head if you were the victor in the race. And then what Paul is saying that after a while, you know what happens to dry parsley, you know what happens to dry celery or, or pine leaves. They get old and brittle and decay and they just fall apart and they're completely worthless. So you've gone through 10 months of agony, 10 months of intentional suffering. You've gone through all of that so that you can get a wreath on your head that's going to dry up and disappear in no time at all. And Paul is saying, but what we have, the prize that we go after, is imperishable. It's eternal. It's bigger than you can imagine. It's bigger than anything they could imagine. It's more important. And so why don't we discipline ourselves for what really matters? Why don't we do this? Why don't we give it the kind of focus and discipline that they did And they did it for something that didn't really matter. We do it for something that's imperishable. We run with a goal. We have a goal in mind. And here's what I want to tell you, that we have this goal of this imperishable prize. And what we get when we get to the finish line of our race, uh, when we get to the finish line of our contest, when we're all done, when our life is over, we get to see Jesus. Jesus is the finish line for us to spend eternity with him. He's our goal, he's our focus. It's because of Christ. And we keep our eyes focused on him, we keep him as the goal, that what we're really going after in our lives is Jesus. He's the only thing worth it. He's the only one worth that kind of discipline, that kind of focus, uh, that kind of agony and struggle and battle to get there is Jesus, and so we go after him. He is the finish line for us. Paul says later, we don't box without ever connecting. Uh, He says, I don't box and just beat the air, but when I box, uh, it's with a target in mind that I'm disciplined myself. in In ancient Greece, they loved the debates and they had great orators, and they loved to debate each other. But they had also some, some Greek orators who didn't debate, they didn't get into the, the battle, they didn't get into the fight, but they would go out on the street corners and, and they would stand there and they'd give all these great lofty speeches uh, to anybody that was around, anybody that could hear them, but they would never get into the debate, they would never really get into the battle. And there was a phrase for those kind of people that just sort of talked uh, out on the streets but never got into the debate. Uh, they called them men who were beating the air. That they, they, were, they were out there talking and they were just like shadow boxers. They were just out there flailing but they never connected with anybody. They never really entered into the fight. I have another phrase for them that I prefer. Uh, I almost called the sermon that this morning. It's called big hat, no cattle, right? <laughs> that you get a big cowboy hat and you look like you're really a cowboy, you look like you're really a rancher, you look like, but you got nothing. It's just for show. And sometimes we settle for just for show, don't we? We we settle for looking like we're a disciplined Christian. We settle for looking like we're a follower of Jesus when there's really nothing going on on the inside of us. We're just a big hat and no cattle. Well, I found a great story this week uh, about a guy... Uh, his name is Alex 
Honnold. And uh, he's a 33-year-old rock climber. In June of two, 2017, this 33-year-old rock climber named Alex Honnold scaled El Capitan. Uh, that's a 3,000-foot granite rock in Yosemite National Park, widely considered the most challenging wall in the world. He was the first person to make the climb free solo with no equipment or ropes, at one point hanging uh, just from his thumbs a thousand feet above the ground. You see, I get a little dizzy just watching him look down. Well, he's a thousand feet from the ground, hanging by his thumbs. He lives most of the year out of a van, a lifestyle known as dirt bagging, which he calls an intentional choice to prioritize your vocation. Honnold says, I want to climb the best places in the world, and that's my focus. I'm willing to give up having stability, having a shower, having whatever, in order to climb the way I want. He goes on to say, I am probably more intentional with the way I live my life than virtually anybody. Isn't that interesting? He says, I'm probably more intentional about the way I live my life than almost anyone. And all he does is climb rocks. We follow Jesus. We know the prize, the eternal prize. But I think he's right. He says, I've made a clear choices about what I find value in, what risks I am willing to take. I'm doing exactly what I love to do. It's very easy for someone sitting on a couch at home to condemn it as crazy and stupid, but I can justify all my choices. Can you say the same thing about your life? Can we say the same thing about the choices that we make in our lives? <laughs> well, along those lines, I have, a, I have a letter from a mom that I want to read to you this morning. Uh, here's how it begins. I have much to say to you. I'm afraid it's not of a pleasant nature. You know, darling, how I hate to find fault with you, but I can't help myself this time. Your, your report... Speaking of his report card, which I enclose, is, as you will see, a very bad one. You work in such fitful, inharmonious way that you are bound to come out last. Look at your place in the form. Your father and I are both, dis are both more disappointed than we can say that you are not able to go up for your preliminary exam. I dare say you have a thousand excuses for not doing so, but there the fact remains. You make me very unhappy. My only consolation is that your conduct is good and you are an affectionate son. But your work is an insult to your intelligence. If you would only trace out a plan of action for yourself and carry it out to be determined and to do so, I am sure you could accomplish anything that you wished. It is that thought, thoughtlessness of yours which is your greatest enemy. I will say no more now, but you are old enough to see how serious this is to you and how the next year or two and the use that you make of them will affect your whole life. Stop and think it out for yourself and take a good pull before it is too late. You know, dearest boy, that I, am all, uh, that I will always help you all I can. Your loving but distressed mother that was, um, that was written in 1850 by Jenny Churchill to her 15-year-old son, Winston, who was taking the easy way out, uh, wasn't giving his life focus, uh, was cutting corners, wasn't giving it his all, 
uh, wasn't being intentional, and his mother was writing him this letter. Seems like it turned out pretty good. But you see, we all get out of focus. Uh, we, we all lose our intentionality. We all forget what the real prize is. That, that somehow we get distracted by other things and, and we need periodically to be reminded of where we're going, what's the race really about, what's the race uh, really for. Uh, we choose to the easy way, we choose the distracted way, we choose something else. In fact, there's another little article that I, that I pulled out for this as, uh, uh, as, William, as Evan Williams, co-founder of Twitter, uh, recently talked about convenience decides everything. This is from an article by a law professor and technology expert, Tim Liu, and he claims that there's an underestimated force that drives our daily lives. It's called convenience. Um, we have a picture here. We love our convenience, don't we? Uh, we want nearly everything about our lives to be convenient, efficient, and easy. Wu calls convenience the most powerful force shaping our individual lives and our economics. And then he goes on to quote Evan Williams, who's the co-founder of Twitter and who recently said this, convenience decides everything. Convenience seems to make our decisions for us, trumping what we like to imagine are our true preferences. I prefer to brew my coffee, but Starbucks Instant is so convenient, I hardly ever do what I prefer. Easy is better, easiest is best. And of course, there are benefits to some of life's conveniences, but he also warns there can be a dark side. And Wu says this, with its promise of smooth, effortless efficiency, it threatens to erase the sort of struggles and challenges that help give meaning to life, created to free us. It can become a constraint on what we're willing to do, and thus, a subtle way, and thus in a subtle way, it enslaves us. When we let convenience decide everything, we surrender too much. And so here we have both from the, from the scripture and from the secular side that what happens when we cut corners, what happens when, when we sort of buy in to the law of convenience and we forget what it means to be focused on the goal, that we forget what it means uh, to have a little bit of intentional suffering in our life because what we're after is for the greater good. What we're after is for God's call in our life. What we're after is to be the best for whom he is, for what God has called us to do. And so the Apostle Paul says this, we do it, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. He had a goal. One of the things that I learned in high school is that when you are running in, in track, when you're running the hurdles, you never look at the hurdles. You always look at the finish line. When you start looking at the hurdles, that's when you hit them, that's when you trip, that's when you're gonna fall. Uh, but when you're running that race, you always look at the finish line. We get so lost and caught up in the hurdles in our lives, we get so lost in the obstacles, we look, get so lost in those things right in front of us that we forget to look at the finish line. And yet we know the finish line. The finish line is Jesus. If we can keep our eyes on Christ, if we can keep our focus on him, the obstacles aren't as big a deal. They aren't as overwhelming. They aren't as central to our life. But when we get complacent and we try to run around those hurdles, when we try to, to, to figure out an easier way to get by the struggles in our lives, we miss the focus that we need to focus on Jesus to finish this race strong, to finish it well. Paul challenges us, and here's why he does it. He says, 
I discipline my body. I love this. Another, an alternate translation for this, he says, I give myself a black eye. That all of a sudden, Paul is saying that my opponent isn't some other boxer. My opponent is me. I'm the one that stands in the way of becoming the person that God wants me to be. I'm the one that stands, in my, that stands in the way of me being who God wants me to be and accomplishing his goals in my life and crossing that finish line in a healthy way. I'm the one, so he says, I literally, I discipline myself. It's intentional suffering, but, it, but you could also translate, I give myself a black eye. I challenge myself. I subdue myself. I discipline myself for the sake of the gospel. He says that I do this, uh, I keep it under control after, lest after pre preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. In verse 23, just before this passage, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that other people can know Christ, so that other people can hear. And here's what Paul is saying, that I don't want to go through all of this. I don't want to spend my life chasing this and doing ministry and then find myself disqualified because I didn't keep my eye on the goal, that I didn't keep my focus on Christ, that somehow I get disqualified. And if you, if you just pay a little bit of attention and you look around the country, you'll see so, it's so hard to finish well so many pastors, so many people get so close to the end of the race and then they fall off the rails. They don't finish well. Paul's saying, I want more than anything to finish well. I want to finish the race. Here's the other thing. The Greeks and the Romans didn't have team sports. Uh, they, they, it was all individual sports. Probably the only team sport that the Romans had was war. They didn't have any team sports. But in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, we're called to do this together. And I have this idea that, that the apostle Paul is saying that I'm, I'm not gonna cross the finish line by myself. I wanna see how many I can take with me. I wanna see how many other people that I can get across that finish line with me. For the sake of the gospel, I want them to hear the good news. I want them to know Jesus so that when I get to the finish line, it's a crowded place. It's a crowded finish line that we're all gonna cross this together. We're all gonna go into the presence of Jesus and when we get to heaven, it's not just me, it's not about what I've done, but it's who I bring with me. That's why I'm focused on this. That's why I'm finishing the race strong. So that when I get there, there's a crowd of us all together. Crossing that line, finishing together. It's never just about me. It's never just about one of us. It's always about the crowd. It's always about who God calls us. And Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified from that race. I don't want the gospel to stop because I didn't stay focused, because I didn't keep my eyes on Christ. So one of the questions that I want to challenge us with this morning is to think about this, that when you finish the race, when you finish the race, who's going with you? Who's going to cross with you? When you finish your race and your life, who's gonna cross with you? Have you stayed, are you staying disciplined? Is it worth a little discipline in your life? Is it worth a little intentional suffering? Is it worth a little agony in your life to keep your eyes on Christ for the sake of the gospel so that when you get to the end, there are others that are with you? There are others finishing with you? Because it's real. I, I'm sure at nine, one significant story in my life about a friend of mine 
um, who was in hospice, and I was here on a Wednesday night, and, um, and I'm out in the lobby, and all of a sudden I just have this strong feeling that I gotta go back, um, that I need to go back to the uh, hospice, and so I, I jump in my car and I drive back, and, and I get there, and uh, here's my friend and his wife, and they're in the hospice room, and, and uh, he's not conscious now, and, and I just, we talked for a couple minutes, and then I said, can I, can I pray with him? And, and uh, so I started to pray over my friend, and all of a sudden, I had this picture, just as clear as I was standing there, of my friend standing in front of this sheer thin veil, and Jesus is just on the other side. And as I'm praying, as I'm seeing this, I see Jesus reach through the veil and take his hand and bring him, and I told him, I said, oh, Jesus is here. He's ready to take you across the finish line. He, he's gonna take you to be with him. And, and we're all gonna get that someday. I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that experience. I'll never forget that picture of that, how thin that veil really is between this side and the other side that Jesus reaches through to take us. So here's the, here's the challenge. Who goes with us? Who goes because of our life? Who's gonna be at that finish line when we finish our race because we were faithful to the Lord, because we stayed committed to the Lord? I read this other great little uh, deal last week about uh, some of you guys that are my age will remember Scott Hamilton, who in the 80s was the gold medalist in the Olympics uh, in uh, figure skating. And he's a really strong believer and went through a horrible cancer, you know, couple of rounds of cancer and, and all of these things. But he was talking one day about his skating career. And, and he's, he's a follower of Jesus and he has this great perspective. But here's what he said, that he estimates that he fell in his skating career 41,600 times he fell skating. And he said the only difference between him and a bunch of other skaters was that he got up 41,600 times and ended up winning the Olympic gold medal. See, we're not here this morning to count how many times you've fallen. We're not here to count how many times you've stumbled. What we're here to focus on is how often we get up and how often we get refocused and we get back in the race for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you're so honest with us. Thank you for the example that Paul gives us of our focus. Lord, we, uh, we're grateful people this morning. We're grateful because you love us. We're grateful because you forgive us. We're, we're grateful, Lord, that, that you've called us to something bigger than just a perishable wreath, that some kind of prize or, or some kind of success or some kind of notoriety. But, Lord, you have called us into your kingdom. You have called us into your race, and you are at the finish line. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you. And I, I just pray this morning that, that as we consider this passage as we consider your word that, that Lord, if, if we need to be convicted, that Lord, we receive that. Convict us, please. Lord, where we need to be refocused, that you would get our eyes back on you. Where we need to be encouraged, Lord, that you would be our encouragement. And Lord, we know all of us need 
your strength in our lives. So we ask for that this morning, and we ask it with grateful hearts because you hear and you answer our prayers. So we thank you, we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Let me encourage you this morning. Uh, one of the things I don't want you to do today is to, is to leave here and say, I'm gonna try harder. What I'd like to challenge you to do is go into training. Uh, that you're training yourself, that, you're, that you wanna be in the race that God's called you to. And so if you're going into training, there's four key things that some of the guys in this room can explain a lot better than me, but here are the four things that I see them. Uh, diet exercise, training, and rest. Uh, so here's, here's, take a quick look at diet. W what am I putting in to my heart? What am I putting in to my mind? W where's my focus? W what, if, what is coming in? Because whatever is coming in is gonna come out. And we need to be serious about what gets in. We need to be a little bit more intentional about that. Uh, we need to get exercise. We need to be out doing something. We need to be out serving. We need to be out giving ourselves away. We need to be exercising a little bit. We need training. We need to support each other. We need teaching. We need uh, mentors. We need all of those th people in our lives so that we're being trained up uh, for the work of the Lord. And then we need rest. Uh, we need to rest in Him. Uh, we need to know that we find our rest and we find our strength in Christ. So. Uh, go into training. Apply those four things to your life and see what the Lord does and see how he uh, keeps you focused. We have prayer partners, uh, as always, this morning that would love to pray uh, over you and with you. So take advantage of that. And then, as always, our prayer table is available. You can write your prayer requests down. And, and we start as a staff team first thing tomorrow praying through all those requests. We love doing that for you. So give us that privilege of uh, praying for you. It's important to us and our whole prayer team. My, my prayer is simply this, that we would set our hearts and our minds on finishing well. Uh, what that looks like and what it means to run the race with perseverance for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. Happy Mother's Day, ladies. All ladies, 18 and over, there's a little gift for you out there. So I talk about discipline. We're going to give you chocolate, okay? How about that? Um, I love you guys. Have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.